Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Nightmare Cinema. This is our fourth episode in our True Nightmare season. So we've only got two episodes left to go. Can you believe, John, that was the question to you. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so eager to talk about this film. I'm just, no. I'm, honestly. John has lit up the WhatsApp um other chat services are available um, over the last 24 hours. And I'm very excited that he's excited. So let's get stuck in. So the film that we're going to be discussing today was directed by Sidney Fury. It was written by Frank Delafelita. Fe- De <laughs> I can't say his name. And it was also... Well, you based- can because you just said it perfectly there. Was that perfect? All right. Yeah. Um, and it was also based on his novel of the same name. The film stars Barbara Hershey. Um Martin Scorsese included this film in his top 11 scariest horror films of all time list. Top 11 is a weird number, isn't it? Martin Scorsese is a weird man. Yeah, that's true. So the film that we are obviously going to be talking about is The Entity, and the both of us have the biggest smiles on our faces. I'm assuming that's because this is a favourite of John's. Yes. So... Basically, what this film is about is it's based on a true story, although the names are changed. Um, This film is about a woman called Carla Moran. She's a single mom of three children, a teenage boy. Not in the film, she's not. Nah, yeah. Fact check yourself, never mind me. In the film, spilling over into fiction there. (laughs) In the film, she has three children, a teenage boy and two younger girls. She finds herself i don't even know how to describe this John, the the victim of a malevolent entity who basically sexually assaults and rapes and beats carla moran for most of the film i, I mean is that a fair right. stop story? stop there right now when you talk about horror films is there more of a definition of true horror than what you've just said there no that's absolutely enough. not that's enough this is probably one of the most relentless films I, i've ever seen um in terms of it gets you right from the get-go uh, and doesn't really let it doesn't let go of you but <laughs> even in the final scene there's like this stuff going down um so I, i'm trying to think i was trying to remember when i very first watched this film and i just i just can't i remember always having it somewhere in the background having the knowledge of this film so i can't really do that my usual oh i remember this or the video man blah 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 i first watched this when i was about 10 and i didn't obviously kind of i, I didn't kind of grasp the the, the abject terror of it. I mean, a ten, just for the for the benefit of the listener, a 10-year-old should not watch this film, no. to be quite honest. It's no, it's a, it's a big no. It's too, too real um, in in one sense. But I remember not really understanding it. And I've watched it a few times since then, and it hasn't really, it just, it's, it's always just been a, a scary thing that's happened to someone. And I've gone, fucking hell, imagine if that actually happened. That would be fucking awful. But right now, with what's going on in this country today, in the world today, this is probably one of the most important films out there. And I, I genuinely believe not only is it a brilliant borderline, and I'm going to use this word, and I'm glad that Sean hasn't got that tear in his mouth that he's just had. 
I think this is one of the most perfect horror films I've ever, ever seen. Whoa. It, with, as my kind of film, like, I don't want to say knowledge because that makes me sound like a twat, but my film... Can't change the habit of a lifetime. Ex- experience has has grown. I've I've gone back and I've watched films three or four times as, as I've kind of evolved into this, the, the creature I am now. And no film has actually stepped up at everyone other than this. I think this is abject terror in an alleg- allegorical sense with the, the, the relevant themes of today made 40 years ago. 40 years ahead of its time, this is. And it was treated as a video nasty when it came out. Well, I'm not like, surprised. Oh, God. Oh, fucking horrible. It is visceral, horrible, horrific, horrendous, relentless, brutal, important. Do you I know what it... I compared it to? Sorry to keep going on, but yeah, I well. did tell you on the text, I have a lot to say. Do you know what I compared it to, to all the way through? That pile of shit from last year. Um, I forgot the name of it. Just a second. Wow. <laughs> wow. A promising young woman. That, that was meant to be the wake-up call to the world about what's what women are going through today. And yeah, it did it on a on a level like that. This punches you in the face. This is this grabs hold of you and punches you for two hours and tells you what's going on in the world right now, 40 years ago, made 40 years ago, sorry. And you have no choice but to listen. You have no choice but to watch and you have no choice. Like I wanted to phone people afterwards and apologize for the world that they're living in because of a That's horror a film because of a ghost job. right honestly it was it was so relevant and so on point like with with what's going on in the world today i've written some of the things down i said right now we've got a generation of women that are terrified to go out alone for fear of being attacked and i know a vast majority of this comes from the media but it's still out there and they're still afraid um like Similar to uh, it could happen at any time, it, which is similar to it could happen to anyone. And in this film, you see that in Barbara Hershey. She's she knows that any moment this could come, and she shows you the fear that she's got. And I was absolutely on my knees watching her. This film belongs to her. She mm. she the the only. Everyone's good in it, including Ron Silver, who is perpetually shit in every film he's in. But even he is good, and Mo Green's in it from The Godfather, which is gets a vote in my book. But she mm. owns this film. She carries every bit of emotion in this film and makes me relate to every woman now. Tell me another fucking actor that does that. I love her now. I'm gonna get a tattoo on my <laughs> arm of her. I. <laughs> Could go on about this all day. I loved her. She was glorious, absolutely in a horrific, horrible way. She got a message across that people can't do now. Brilliant. Her performance was and always is in everything that she's in is phenomenal, except when she was in The X-Files season 11, which we will not touch because um, <laughs> nothing was good about that. Chris Carter, if you are listening... However, I would just like to say, and I know that this is not what you are trying to say, but this fear and this this 
you know, fear of going out and being around people and walking home on your own. That is not something new. This film is not of its time. It is of a, of, of agenda. It's, it, it's of women and it's of women throughout history. Um, but I just wanted to add that in there because I think that is what you were trying to say. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's not always been there because it has always been there from, from fucking year dot. I'm just saying it's properly in the cultural mind the public mind now it's all yes. over the media it's everywhere it's where it should be people are trying to bring it up to the forefront now the first comparison that i had with this was promising young woman which was made by sky productions which is one of one of the worst most that'll do production companies out there considering the money that sky have got if they mm. stopped giving it all to the premier league and actually invested it in some sort of like fictional focus into like making TV drama again and film drama again and actual real things. Final score, red notice. Don't don't even pollute your eyes with seeing them. And that's what the same thing was with Promising Young Woman. It didn't go far enough. I admire its idea and I love Carrie Mulligan. And um like it's it but it didn't delve far enough. It didn't I wanted it to grab hold of me and punch me in the face. And it didn't it didn't it, it, it like it didn't even tickle my nose. It was just like, it, it was just a thinly, that'll do. That sh- that'll appease everyone who's going on about this now. No, bollocks. What the what this film did, the entity, was grabbed me and cut my nose off and threw it away and then punched the, the hole in my face and it didn't stop. It was a relentless... We've used all the words already, but it was just... It was everything that the world needs right now. So you enjoyed but, it then? Well, I mean, enjoyed is a very, very different word, but it, I was I was cheering. I was just, I was like, I don't remember this being this important in the world. And I and I genuinely think it could, as a, as a message, it's perfect. Do you think um, this, this film suffered for being written by a man? Ooh. Ooh. If if they hadn't got Barbara Hershey, it may have done. See, I I think it did. Oh. Some of some of the dialogue is Yeah, I've actually mentioned that in here. So I think the word rape is only used once, maybe twice throughout the entire film. And even one of the female characters, Cindy, you know, her, her best friend. She um she uses the word intercourse for rape, which I've never really caught before. But obviously, when you're doing this kind of thing and you're analysing things a little bit more, you kind of pick up on stuff like that, don't you? And that's that's not obviously the right word to use, is it? Intercourse it, it implies some sort of exchange. This rape yeah. is not an exchange, is it? There's a, there's a few. I think I've 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 mentioned there that the bit I've I've actually written bits of the dialogue did make me want to vom. Um, but fabulous. I kind of I, I I glossed over it because it is 1982 and I knew it was going to have flaws, and Barbara just saved the day. She I don't really think did. I mean I don't... we do have to talk about it and you do have to point them out and say that's not okay to say that mm. and maybe it would have benefited from a female perspective in the writing 
Or, 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 or I mean, director. he would have liked to have spoken, yeah, or, yeah. So let's obviously we're doing true we're doing true um true nightmares aren't we so let's have a look at it in terms of a what actually happened to Carla Moran throughout the film um so obviously we we meet her she's a really hard working person she's single she well, she got a boyfriend but the boyfriend is not the dad of any of her children Mo Green um, from the Godfather yeah I don't like him. He's, he's, he makes me feel sick. Um, so she works and she goes to night school um, as well. And then she comes home and she's got all of the housework to do as well. Um, so the first incident is absolutely horrendous, I thought, where I think she's just moisturising her legs, isn't she, after having a shower or whatever. And then it happens. She, she is thrown onto a bed and she is raped really violently. Um, I can't remember if he hits her in the face. Yeah, she bleeds. Yeah. Mouth bleeds, doesn't it? Yeah, I think he hits her and then, yeah, he hits her and then he throws her onto the bed. Um, it, it absolutely, just, you're sort of on this level where it could be, you know, the opening of any film by Steven Spielberg, you know, where everything's nice and you're yeah. like, he's settling you in and then it just, yeah. bam, like, whoa, oh my God. That's, 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 that's where the real horror aspect comes in for me. And I shall, uh, I shall go a little bit further into this. Like, as, as, as you've just said, it does paint this happy family picture and it is, I think it's about five minutes in, five mm. minutes of serenity. And then I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the music. And I, and because and, I think the music in this film is just, it's, it's very difficult to, to speak positively about the subject matter of this film because it's, it's one of the few films which is truly troubling and horrendous. I, I, I want to make sure everyone knows that this is a very, very when you say film positively, what do you mean? Like, I don't want to say like it was great, it which because I'm talking about context. Yeah, it, okay, it is great, but you know what I mean. But it's 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 just bizarre describing a scene like this as great. No, it, I it completely just, get what you mean. Yeah, like, it just doesn't sit right with me sometimes. But you showing know what I mean. showing a visualization yeah. of something that is so violent. Yeah. I am can purely be. talking from... You're not even listening to me. Showing a visualisation of something so violent in a film where it's intended to show the violence can be a good and great thing, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't take anything away from the fact that it's horrendous. If you think about films like Boys Don't Cry, um, those final few scenes are horrific and I will never, ever watch that film ever again. I've only seen it once and I never want to see it ever again. Bye bye. It was horrific. And the same with, like, Monster with Charlie's thrown in. Oh, my God. No, I never want to see that ever again. And I, I think, don't want to see that ever again for a very different reason. <laughs> I, think, I think this has got a similar sort of effect. Um, and probably if it wasn't a horror film, I probably wouldn't rewatch this. Um, if it was any other type of film, like, I would... It would have just been a one and done for me because... 
it is really difficult to watch. Yeah, but back back to the uh, I just when I said I was going to say great then, and I just thought that's completely the wrong word to say. But it's not. It's, no, it's, I don't think it is. It doesn't sit right with me sometimes. But right, so five minutes into the film, you've got this happy family scene. All the kids are happy. The the, the old the eldest lads sitting. I think he's playing, watching TV or something. She's moisturising in his legs. car, isn't he? And then from nowhere, from absolutely nowhere, this music comes in. was about 10 seconds i wanted to keep it going for as long as i possibly could and i've just looked on on the cameras at our faces and both of us had to look away and we looked like we were sucking lemons it's a horrible score it is, isn't it? it is it is um it's unbearable it's mm. it's genuinely unbearable and every time there's attack and attack it just goes and comes in at you, mm. and that's that and you can't escape it because it i mean i was watching it on a, an ipad and it was so loud on that. It was 10 times louder than the actual dialogue. Why do you think that score was chosen in that particular style? Just because of the kind of absolutely relentless nature of it. That's that's purely what it is. And it's, it, it is perfection for a scene such as that. Um, Did you think that it was trying to emulate something? Um. Now you've said that possibly, but my it it, it was just the kind of the thoughts, and that's it's not going to stop. I think that is what makes it not unnerving, but it also makes me feel a little bit nauseated. <laughs> that yes, yes, that sound has a feel to it, and you could feel you could feel it, you could feel it, you could almost feel it happening, but not quite and that is i think what they were trying to get at the absolute horrendous violent relentlessness of an attack such as that i couldn't agree more it was when that started and i kind of went what the fuck and it wasn't <laughs> stopping and it, it was it was i wanted it to stop i, I was but Exactly what I've just said. I wanted it to stop. I, got, I, 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 I was desperate for it to stop. Mm. And that's that's job done for the audience. Mm. It was it was as unbearable, absolutely unbearable. One of the most unsettling pieces of music I've ever heard. But perfect for it for this horrendous mm. scene, for these that's horrendous great. scenes. And it just compliments. And when you've got Barbara Hershey, like, just owning everything in this film, the the, the two, the two are the stuff of absolute nightmares. Mm. And so, following this incident, you know, a son obviously rushes in. I think a daughter's do too, and the son should suggest that it was a bad dream. Um. I'm not sure what kind of bad dreams he's had, but 
you know, I don't think that's something is easily explained away. I understand from his perspective, you're saying that nobody was here or that they was invisible or whatever, but the, the, there's going to be a physical and there is physical evidence on Carla later on when, you know, she goes to the, to, to the clinic Um you see that physical evidence of these attacks. So it's not as easily dismissed, but I understand, I think that is what, what happened in, in real, in real life, in the, in the real case. Um, so later on that same night, this, this is what I mean. This is how relentless it is. We haven't skipped a few days, like something like the Amityville, where it's like things that have happened over the space of 28 days. This is the very same night when it's like that, the entity is coming back again and the whole thing, the whole room starts shaking Um, there's a smell, the temperature drops and then the whole room just goes nuts with like things like knocking about, falling off like sideboards and, and all that sort of stuff. And then obviously she, they leg it, don't they, and go to her best mate, Cindy, whose husband George is an absolute bellend. And if this was set now, she'd either be a lesbi- lesbian or she'd have divorced them by the end of the film for definite. Yeah, this is where the kind of 1982 bits come into it and you just think... Yeah, oh. it is. But I, I mean, but at the same time, it was 1982 and you can look back now and you can go, I'm glad it's not like that anymore. Mm. Well, for some idiots it is, but they're idiots and there will always be idiots in the world, um, unfortunately. So I think that the next big thing that happens, um, you know, Cindy and May comes to sleep over. Um, nobody sees it, but the light comes on and off on the dresser. And then the next day she's in her car going to work. And oh my God, that car scene is horrific. Absolutely. Easily explained away. Obviously it's a car, it's going to get fault. So if this was real life, you could easily explain that away. But to couple it with stuff that is already going on, and obviously you know what the film is about, really terrifying, really terrifying. And she says later on, he's trying to kill me or he's try- he tried to kill me. And this yeah. is where we're introduced to Dr. Snyderman, um, where she, you know, she discusses the rape and she describes him smelling as foul. And then he suggests that they put her through some tests um so so far we've had the initial attack and then we've had this the the entity the spirit trying to actually kill her and oh the next part the next is the the bath scene and i think this is the one that i hate the most like literally hate it and do have to look away because of some of the shots that are used, um, the, the way that the entity throws her, the way that she is thrown in front of the camera, which I thought was genius. It, it makes her feel like she's coming at you. I don't know if you, it was like a split second shot where when it first grabs her, she's thrown into the camera. Um, I, I just thought that was genius, but terrifying at the same time. Um, so the doors are shut and she, she doesn't call out for a son or, or the kids. And I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, I mean, she does try to get out, but obviously it, it doesn't happen. And then she's, she's raped again by this invisible thing. 
And then we learn a little bit later on that she feels like, well, there, there are finger marks all over her body. There are bite marks on her, bruises on her ankles. And she says she felt like this time he had help. Um, yeah. So physically, physically, there's there's nothing wrong with her, Dr. Snyderman suggests. And maybe it's a psychological and emotional emotional development uh, problem. Um, yeah. So what did you, how did you find watching that scene? Um, as you said, it's, it's, it's what, I mean, every, every kind of rape scene in this is so, so troubling. It's so, it's the definition of horrific is, is, is this. And it's, they're done in, in a way which is again again the music is playing so you've got all that going on with that pounding going on in, in through your ears and it it's it, it's just you're just begging the film for it to stop you, 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 I mean saying that though never once did I want to turn it off or skip it mm. I did I, I I was like if she's in there I'm 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 I'm, I'm fucking I've got her back and I'm going through this with her I didn't I was never going to turn my back on her and I've, I'm like I you give a shit so much about this woman it, you're so invested from the moment you see her she's just she's absolutely lovely she's just a gent she's a real person she's not Barbara Hershey the actor she's a real person mm. and you've completely got her back from the moment which is why you you, you can't you're with her when all this is going on. And that was the discomfort for me. I was just like, I am completely powerless to help. I'm like sat on my bed and this was 40 years ago and I'm still trying to find a way of helping her. That's mm. how much it bothers you. And it's, it's. we talked about Rosemary's baby, didn't we? And all them scenes in that and did they mean it, didn't, didn't they mean it? We, we eventually arrived at the conclusion that we don't think they did. It was just Roman Polanski being Roman Polanski. That was your conclusion, not mine. Right. Um, but I think they meant these scenes are so well crafted to to unsettle an audience. It's 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 they they want them like this. They meant everything in this and everything that we're feeling now. They wanted us to feel. That's that's what they they've got the outcome that they wanted using the techniques that they wanted. And tell you, just while I'm saying techniques, there have you have you noticed? Did you notice the the camp? Some of the camera angles were on very. And I'm going into film director mode now, but and I was looking and I was thinking that's really good. I really like that. And it was one moment of levity I had in the whole film for the three seconds of peace that it gives me. I went, oh, I like them camera angles. Oh no, it's happening again. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I did. I did enjoy the kind of like, and I'm, and then I was trying to find think why why they were doing that because once you I remember attending the bath on and the bath is at a really bizarre angle. Mm. And I just thought, I kind of like that. And then all hell broke loose again. And I was like, oh, well. So I think, it, it, I mean, it is often, it, it always happens, those angles around an attack or just before or just after. And it, it's like, to, to me, what I felt like it was offering an alternative point of view of the bathroom or the bedroom. Um, and then question, okay, but whose point of view is it? Do you, do you know what I mean? And ooh, that's what I that's what I took from it anyway. Um, to to make you feel like okay, something is definitely off. Whose point of view we're we looking at from here? Um, so yeah, 
I think there's only one or two shots where she, where Barbara Hershey is in shot and it has that slanted angle. You you are right. They always seem to kind of precede an an attack, like. Mm. Yeah. With that. So, and that's always, I think that's only ever always in the house. When it's in the clinic, it's like really bog standard, straight, straight to the, you know, um, straight. <laughs> shots. So the Dr. Snyderman diagnoses Carla with um anxiety and she's given tranquilizers. He also then suggests that she goes home and has a hot bath. After what she's just told him has happened in the bath. This is this is where my uh my kind of empathy chip blew up. And I this is where the the, the relevancy to today got me uh she's come to this person who she's slowly learning to trust he's a he's a professional he's told her what she's told him what's going on and he is dismissing it mm. and that was the bit that i just thought mm-hmm. oh my god this is so on yeah. the nose for today yeah it's very and like I, what happened in your bath isn't real yeah and it was kind of like do this do this and it was you could see very, very subtly at this point, he's he's shifting responsibility onto her. And that was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my fucking God. Mm. Um, and again, I think it was uh, it was meant because he genuinely, I mean, he, he genuinely thought that was the, the, the kind of cause. But he's not listening to what she's saying. No, he does. He does care about her. And that is obvious throughout the whole film. But you are right. He doesn't listen to her. He just completely shuts her down straight away. And any other character that that disagrees with his point of view, he shuts them all down as well. Um, to me, Mr. Snyderman, not a very nice guy. I'm not interested in getting to know you. Thanks. Um, so he takes her home, doesn't he? And um, to her house, not to his, obviously. And he wants to have a little look around the house and for whatever reason, he's nosy. Um he starts to, he, he forms like an instant bond with her teenage son, which I thought was interesting um, because of what he talks about a little bit later in terms of father figures and how she she would see him. Um, so she starts to tell him about a sexual abuse that she'd suffered at the hands of her dad as a kid. Um, and her dad was like a, a religious, a, a minister. He was a minister, wasn't he? Um, yeah. She believes a mom knew about what her dad was doing and eventually she she ran away um and this is where she met mario who's billy's dad and billy is her teenage son and she drops the line where he looks a lot like his dad and you can see snyderman's brain ticking over even though we don't get that until later on which is really clever he doesn't suggest it there and then it's later on when he he, he sort of is really frustrated with her um so she got pregnant. He was a drug de- a drug user and he died on his motorcycle when she was 16 and that was before Billy was born. She then met Bob Garrett, his name is, who's Julie and Kim's dad. Um, and when Snyderman asks where he is, she's like, she laughs and says, I don't know. That is, that's the kind of person he is. That's what he's like. He's not used to being in, in one place at a time. So he goes home and this is where the next attack happens, isn't it? And this is in front of the kids. Um, so I think she she goes into, the, they've got like a dessert, haven't they? And she goes into the living room to get something. And then she's thrown onto the couch. 
and she's raped yet again. And Billy tries to help, but there's like lightning going into his fingers and he can't get up off the floor. He yeah, breaks his wrist. That, sorry to interrupt. Mm, it's, that, it's that in front of the kids. Isn't and, it? Yeah. It, the, and how upset they, and distraught they are. Yeah. I mean, it is harrowing that this, this is happening anyway. Two young kids and a very capable kind of teenage son who tries to help and is thrown around like a rag doll. Like, and it's, it's the, the DNA of what's going on there is insert pound into me talking about <laughs> the exorcist again is the exorcist. They build it up and they build it up. So the people around are so powerful, uh, powerless, sorry. And that's, that's what this is doing. If this, this guy, I mean, he's a kid, he's a, He's a fucking capable looking mm. lad. He's built and he's just thrown across the room, thrown across at Lee Allen's on the table. And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. That indicates the strength of this, this thing. The fact that it's, it's doing this in front of two kids. It's just doesn't give a shit. It's just, it's, it's, it's not 100% pure horror. That's yeah. real terror to me. Mm-hmm. So this is where she's, then got a team of doctors looking into a case with Snyderman. Um, and there were some bits of dialogue here that I thought were a bit interesting, maybe a bit off, um, where I think one of the doctors says, why you? And she's like, I feel like he chose me. And I get that part, I get it, because he must have chosen because he keeps coming back. Um, and then she asks why, and she says, I suppose it's because he finds me attractive. And that really jarred for me because I thought that's not necessarily what rapists, um, I want to say go for. That's not usually one of the criteria for rapists. It's um, in in this violent way. What they get off on is not your looks, but the acts that they have caused, the fact, sorry, that they have caused you absolute terror. That is what they get off on. That's the thing. So that for me was, I, I couldn't I couldn't quite tell whether that is something that Carla Moran would genuinely think or, or believe or whether that is another example of a man writing bad dialogue. I, I really couldn't, I couldn't decide. What did What did you think? It it sounded to me like she just had no idea and she was just saying something, like literally anything. Personally, I would have gone with something else. Mm. But, I, I mean, you always do this. You always raise a point and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, I wish I got that first. But, yeah, you, I mean, I can see why it's in there. I, I, I can't, and I can see even in, if it was why this this girl this lady would say it um but i'm thinking maybe they should have gone with something else yeah i genuinely think now you now now you've brought it up it doesn't sit right with me that now that you've brought it up Mm. because that's that's not what this is about is it it's no it's it's i mean i would have been I would have been happier if you just said, I don't know, to be honest. I but would, because I, I think it, it adds to the tension. Like, I, it, I genuinely don't know. If she just said it in a 100% way that it was like, she was kind of like, she doesn't have a clue. 
and she's just going, well, maybe he must he must find me attractive, like a nervous laugh mm. and, a, and a and a fearful, like it's just like a like the first thing that comes into her head, and she's not being serious. But that's not clear, and that sounds mm. to me like she actually believes that, mm. and that I think that's that's a little element of nineteen eighty two ignorance creeping through. Thanks yeah. for raising that. So now it's not perfect. Brilliant. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. So the next attack is a gentle attack. And I had to ask myself why at this point after her boyfriend has come home, I think he says like it's one more trip and then I'll be home for good. She goes back to her house and she's lying on top of the bed and then it happens and he's like, the the entity is like playing with her really gently. There's there's no overt violence, although the act of doing that to somebody while they're asleep is violent. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, violence in terms of beating them or yeah. like holding them down, and that that's not what this was. This was a really prolonged and gentle. Yeah, for me, this thing. one, this one isn't so. The horror in this one, although it's horrendous, what's going on, the horror, of horror in this one isn't the actual attack. It's what she's saying to the doctor afterwards. Afterwards, and yeah, and the the the, the shame that she's got mm-hmm. all over her body, and she's it's, it's not just shame. Shame's the wrong word. Shame, disgust. She is appalled by herself. She's she hates herself. And when when she kind of tells the doctor that she kind of orgasmed, and like the the look on her face is just like it's like she's committed the the greatest sin ever, mm-hmm. and she's she she's looking like a person that's being judged by the entire world, and here and a doctor in a room, and it's just it's so unbelievably horrifically played out mm-hmm. that it's it's gone from her not being believed, span completely around, and because she. I mean, I'm not going to call it pleasure because she got something from it. She is so hate-filled in herself. She's now on trial. She see, she looks like she's now on trial. Mm. And this is, again, another metaphor for today that just just pounded me with them. And, but it's trying to stick with the film. Like, it's, it's the way that she's explaining that to the doctor. It's, it's, that if you compare the two scenes, that one is the more horrific. Mm-hmm. They're both horrendous. Don't get me wrong, but that one is one again. I use this word unsettling and troubled. These words unsettling and troubling so much in this, but that is one of the most. And she's got to sit there and talk about it. Mm-hmm. She so she's got to go through the whole thing again. This time, telling them what what happened with her own body, and it's. I honestly nausea like the word the uh, makes me fucking. Ugh. It is it is a, a really poignant and powerful scene when she's talking to the doctor because there is something that she says that just made me like oh shit, she's like I'm not gonna let him hit me anymore because I'm going to cooperate with him. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Like just chills of absolute horror. And it's then that Snyderman sort of implies that maybe she's having these fantasies about having sex with this her own son. And um, it's where he mentions 
what his son looks like and you know he says you said yourself he looks like your ex did you enjoy having sex with your ex what was that like all that sort of stuff and this is where he saved that piece of information and slotted it in when it serves him most yeah, um, it's proper doctor like real life doctor shit that is mm, yeah so she this scene when I first watched this next scene I crapped myself because she's in her best friend's house in Cindy's uh, apartment um, and she's just sat on the couch they go out and Cindy's like don't leave wait for me I'll be back and then the window's just smashing out of fucking nowhere and it, it genuinely scary moment I don't think you would achieve that in a more modern film now because you'd have like tells and, and stuff where they just fucking went for it and um, and then you find out that Cindy and George saw what was actually happening and then it clicks then for, for Carla. I'm not insane. This is actually really happening. Like other people outside of my household have seen it. So Cindy decides to help her and they go to a bookstore, um, which is where you should always go for your help. Um for some research into spirits, entities, psychic abilities. And it's there that they meet these two parapsychologists. Um, initially, they don't believe her. They don't believe, or they're skeptical at least, um, until the mirror shakes on the wall at the house. They smell the bad smell and they're a cold spot. So they, they're like hook, line and sinker at this point. Um, set up equipment. And there's all like, when they go to sleep, there's all like electric discharge all over the bed. Um, and she's absolutely made up saying that, you know, he's, he's weak and you, you can't touch me. And for some reason, the presence of those people in her house, interestingly, men in her house, meant that the entity couldn't get enough power to do anything to her. Um, and this is where Snyderman comes back. And this is where I really begin to hate him. Um, is that when he, he has a massive go at her? Yeah, and he he sort of ridicules the parapsychologists and even to Billy, I think he says next time, don't pretend. And he's like, I didn't pretend a broken wrist. I Um, think he should have twatted him there. With his broken wrist. He's got two. (laughs) Um, He might not have been good with his left. Um, I am. Just FYI. (laughs) Anyway, so the entity, again, not getting enough, enough energy to you know, physically do something to Carla, it begins to show show itself as like a ball of, this ball of light. And when we talk about the true true story in, in a few minutes, you'll we'll talk about what that ball of light is yeah. because it didn't make it obvious in the film, I didn't think. Did you? Um, no. No, okay. You may have um, to explain that one to me. Oh, I will. So- I'm a ball of light somewhere. Oh, you're silly Billy. Um. So she's, Carla's feeling absolutely fine. These people being in her house has meant that she's had no attacks um, at all. Like nothing has happened. Um, obviously the, the, the background sort of stuff is going on, like things moving and all that, but there's not been any physical attacks. Um, so he comes home, the fella, and then um, they are going to bed while he's there, this is the thing I don't really get. If having those parapsychologists there meant that this entity couldn't attack her, what was it about her fella being there that meant that it could? Because it's it's then again where it's got a grip to the bed, isn't it? And it's 
It's yeah. a subtle inhibitor. Oh, I, I, I think I know what it is. Go on. I think it feeds off negative energy. So when she's positive, oh. surrounded by positive people, she you can't get enough energy. But what about you when she's on her own? There's still negative energy. She's lonely. And then when, well, when being alone when, and being lonely are two different things, aren't they? I know, but she 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 misses that. She misses Mo Green, and then when <laughs> Mo Green comes back and she's not really feeling it with him, she's got everything. She's saying everything that she's ever wanted to him, and then she's she's still like, oh, well, you do treat me a bit like shit sometimes. And he comes back and gives her a fucking ninety, like go and put it on for me. And then the negative, it, it always it always comes just after a kind of negative moment in her life mm. when she's feeling a bit, and that's kind of contrasts to the true story as well where they said that this because the, the the real lady as we'll find out in a minute was very troubled shall we say so so sick of using that word but that's the perfect word for it and in the film it does it it does as well every time she's like it gets stronger when she's like at her most negative and moments like and because when her mates were there and they were very loving, care, caring people, it couldn't. That's when that energy thing was happening. And the same with when at kind of at the end as well. You know, she walks out through that door, and her family are there, mm. and it ends on a positive charge sort of thing. And she's that's that that they're the things that are going to get her through this. These this this support group, as it is with most things in life, mm. this positively charged support group. Because you're not going to get anywhere with anyone going. Oh, it's fucking terrible. It's horrible. You're going to get there going with someone going, I fucking love you. You're one of the strongest people I've ever met. They don't have to tell you these words. They just have to show you these these mm. things. And that's what these people were doing to her. And that's that's why this film is so fucking important. I, I'm i going to build a statue to this film. I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> I'll just be an invisible statue. There you go. <laughs> I'm sorry to make a joke about that. But it, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. But it's so important. It's... To me, it's it's mental health. Forty years before mental health was even a fucking thing, it's it kind of like the 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 culture of uh, victim blaming. Forty years before it came into the public consciousness, as much as it is now, it always should have been there. By the way, it always should have been there. It's everything that that's now forty years ago, and I hands up. On my knees, salute it. Sorry, I just had to get that out again. So, just that I'm, moment, so I'll just absolutely fall in love with the film all over again. You need um, to chill. I, 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 so follow, follow, <laughs> following a short hospitalization, um, Carla's back on her feet, and her guys from the university decide on an experiment. So this experiment uses it's not liquid nitrogen. Is it liquid hydrogen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to try and freeze the entity to see if this thing has a mass. Um, so if it's basically, whether it's an independent entity or whether it's a psychic projection of Carla's. Um, so they do, they're in this massive gym. They've got a mock-up of her house in there with like the really basic amenities. Um, and there were like those canisters hovering over it, which would freeze the the entity when it when or if it arrives. And it arrives, it definitely does arrive. And she gets into her little safe zone. So the stuff, the gas doesn't, the 
gas stuff doesn't get her. Um, and it, it, it freezes. They see it, don't they? They see the, the, the mass of... They see the mass of the entity for a split second before the ice all breaks apart. Um, and obviously Snyderman is there to save the day because obviously a woman's not capable of doing that on her own. Yeah, that was that was one of my gripes as well. Yeah. She should have gone back to get him out. Yeah, she couldn't she couldn't manage to get out that fake house on her own. So she had to get a man in to help her out with that. Anyway. Um, Disgust on your faces. So yeah, it was just it's just one of those things, isn't it? Like, come on, come on, um, and then everybody is completely convinced by what they've seen that this thing is a is an entity. Almost everybody, um, and then we get this final scene where she goes home to 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 a house, obviously, and the door slams shut behind her. Um, I can't remember if the if the score comes back in, but she is terrified. And then you hear that voice. Can you remember what the voice <gasps> says? No, I was gonna. I was actually gonna text you and say what did he, what did he say? Because I couldn't understand it. Am I? Welcome home, cunt. <laughs> That's what it says. Oh, welcome home, cunt. Um, and then you said that to me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> and then Carla, like you say, just opens the front door and thinks, fuck you. She opens the front door, a family's outside, they're moving home, she gets off. Um, and it ends on that really positive note until... It is. I, I mean, I really like that ending. I really do. Until you get <laughs> the, in real life, these attacks yeah. are still happening. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck yeah, now, That's how the whole film ends. And you think to yourself... She lived with this her entire life. And again, you just, you, the, the, your heart goes out to her. Mm. And you think, because no matter what it is, I mean, you, you, you click on to the, to the real story straight away with that because that's the factual bit at the end. And you just go, she's lived with this her entire life. Imagine what she's had to go through, not just these horrific things, but to, to get to the point where no one can help you. She must have had to have tried everything. And she's not like... Judging by what by what's in the film, she's not without determination. Mm. So she would have tried to get rid of this, and it must have. Oh fuck, Jesus Christ! It's <laughs> honestly, it, it is. It troubles me as much as any horror film, any real horror film ever. Okay, so let's take a look at the true story behind the entity. So this story is actually based on the true story of Doris Bither. Am I saying that right? Bither or Bither? I think it's Bither. Bither. Um, So this is a true story based on the actual accounts of Doris Bither. Um, Although trying to find content anywhere that has Doris's words is really difficult. Um, Mostly what I found was the parapsychologists that were involved in the case. Yeah, I found second, third-hand accounts. I found nothing from her, not mm. even a doctor's record, nothing at all. It's, yeah. I, what I was looking, what I seemed to realise in this was she's she's gone to extraordinarily lot vast lengths to hide her side of the story. So not to hide it, that's the wrong word, to, to keep her story to herself granted they have made a two-hour film about it but that's different enough from what she went through for it to be a standalone film well let's, and for her to just... 
Let's That's talk true. about the reasons why that might be a little bit later. Let's just run through some of the stories. So the the person who was mainly involved in this case, one of the parapsychologists, is Dr. Barry Taff. So he he was the parapsychologist who investigated or helped investigate these happenings around Doris. Um, what I also found interesting was his his journey to parapsychology. He was at university, he was at UCLA, and he had always said that he felt he had some connection to the spiritual realm, however you want to phrase that, and he believed himself to be psychic. Now, the woman who was in charge of the parapsychologist in the film, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name. She is also in the in the real story, and he was taken to her for testing on his psychic abilities. Um, and that was in 1969. So he had his, a study was carried out on him and his psychic abilities. Um, and I, he didn't discuss what the, what the outcome of that study was. <clears throat> However, that's how they know each other. And he became a parapsychologist via that avenue. So he also worked with a man called Kerry Gaynor, who was a volunteer in the parapsychology lab. Um, and they started working together on a lot of different cases. And in August 1974, um, not Barry Taft, but Kerry Gaynor and someone else were in a bookstore in LA called Hunter's Books, which is the book that was used in the film. Uh, sorry, the bookstore that was used in the film. In, Hunter, in Hunter's Books, they were having a conversation about um, the cases that they had worked on. And that conversation was overheard by Doris Bither, who said that her house was haunted. And that was in August, 1974. So in August the 22nd, um, they went to the house, August 22nd, 1974. They went to the house um, and Dr. Taft describes it as a shack and it, that it was twice condemned by the city and she shouldn't have lived there. Um, so that speaks to some possible environmental things going on in the house um, and Doris said that she at this point had been raped repeatedly by a ghost um, and that she felt that there were three of them so they referred her to a psychiatrist thinking that Doris was obviously in need of one um, after just an hour and a half of speaking with her they referred her to a psychiatrist and just said you know you need, you need to speak to someone um, This what we do is not for you Um so after 10 days, Doris called the parapsychologists um, because friends and neighbors had also started to witness things going on around their own home and around Doris's house. Um, they went back and the house absolutely stank of decomposing organic matter. Um, the bedroom was ice cold and in August in LA, that would be really strange, especially the kind of house that she lived in. It would not have had... Um, air conditioning at all so they started to um believe in the things that Doris was saying um and in the kitchen when they're having a conversation about her experiences kitchen cupboards would open skillets would fly out pans would come out and other times a fuse box was ripped off the wall and thrown at Doris herself none of this for anyone of these parapsychologists was recorded there were no cameras set up there were no video cameras nothing set up at this point and if 
you have had more than one conversation where something has happened. Why would you not have something ready to go to video it or to try and take a snapshot of it? Um, I just feel like you would as a parapsychologist. You're trying yeah. to make parapsychology a real science and you're not doing it any favours. I feel I should just tell you that I've just had to switch the lamp on because that story really scared me. It really freaked me out. Do you know what? I think I am well on the way for this being the first one that I actually kind of believe. Oh my God. This is just freaking me out a little bit. Okay. So the parapsychologists at this point decide that they're going to take a serious look into this case. So in this, in the real life story, she does have four children, not three. Um, and the the rape attacks, like in the film, stopped when the parapsychologist attended the house. So his, his teenage son did report seeing her being attacked by nothing. She was just getting attacked. And he tried to help her and he, he would just get thrown back. Um, so he couldn't physically help her himself. So... Um, they decided then to spend more time, you know, observing what was going on. There were there were over twenty people sometimes, not just in her house, but in her bedroom, watching things happen. Um, so they would see often see balls of light or corpuscular masses of light, as they called it, and they were greenish yellow in color, and they were only ever in the bedroom. They were described as the size of a fist and they would move rapidly around the room with no discernible point of origin. Um, so, yeah, uh, 20... What, I'm sorry. enjoying this. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. Some, some photographs at this point, I am glad to say, were taken and a few of these lights uh, were caught on camera um, on, on, on photographs, on image. And we will post them to the Instagram um, when this actually comes out, this episode. Um, so there is a few po- po- photographs of an arc of light um, over Are you going to make me look at these? Yes. And they oh, are, brilliant. it's not an arc of light. It's called a track. So it's the track of the light that you see, not the, no, it's not actual light. So the, I'm trying to, you know, like you see a comet in the sky and you see the ball at the front and then a tail. That, that is, that's what it's like, the, the trailer, the track of, of the light. So the photographs were studied um, by specialists and these specialists couldn't really understand what the lights were. So there is a point where the lights group together and form the upper torso of a man, of a big man. So the head, the neck and the shoulders and the chest and then nothing below that. So there were up to between 25 and 28 people who saw that, although there is no camera evidence of it. So oh, I was just having a look for that now. No, there's there's none. I'm sorry. So when I said earlier about that ball of light and it, the film didn't really make it obvious what it was trying to be, that is that point where it formed a shape of a man. You don't oh, really no, see I think it. It, I, I, I thought you meant a different one. I thought it was quite clear. Oh, no, I don't see it. I, no. I, if that, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I just saw Mate, <laughs> right. Because I thought you were talking about a different one because it became yeah. really, really clear to me quite quickly. So, yeah, there, were, there was no, no camera evidence of that torso, although it was reported by up to 28 people. Um, so they all go home and they get a call at midnight from Doris saying that they need to come back. 
um, they reported that the house was an absolute mess. It had been like destroyed, like things were thrown about. Curtains had come off the wall, all that sort of stuff. Um, they brought in some high speed film, but there was nothing recorded uh, following that event. Um, so just thinking about Doris and who she was as a person, Dr. Taff reported that she drank a lot. So she, she was a heavy drinker. Um, and then when she had stopped drinking, the phenomena stopped. And by that, I don't mean the light. I mean, the attacks stopped. So that is something that's not really explored in the films because obviously you could easily dismiss that as, well, she was drunk, like people do with a lot of rape victims anyway. Um, but yeah, they don't really explore that in the film, but I thought it was interesting to note um, that she seemed to have a bit of a dependency on drink. So the whole... I thought the... it was more than drink. It was oh, drugs and all kinds as well. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Uh, she, had, she had addiction issues. Um, she, didn't, she didn't have the greatest life known to man. Um, <clears throat> she was an addict early on and she, she had a dependency to alcohol and she, she had a bit of a shite life. And it's it that kind of affected her in the negative ways that kind of tarnished her for the rest of her life and kept her in a very negative place, which is what some mm. people believe drew this thing to her in the first place. Because as we as as it slightly hints on in the film, but more in real life, it seems to be drawn to her negative energy. Mm, interesting. Was there anything else that you picked up on in your research around um Doris um well th that she's possibly one of the most secretive people ever <laughs> um is is one um everything um of, of mine comes third second third and fourth hand like it's just accounts by people um it's a bit about the house uh, it's been occupied by several families since there and no one has reported even the most slightest bizarre bizarrity uh which the, the people involved in this kind of came back and said it is directly linked to you. Sorry, mm. Doris. Yeah. Um, I couldn't find anything in Doris's own words, not even me medical reports. So that makes me think that she, I said, said this before, that makes me think that she wants this. She doesn't want this as uh, urban legend, public knowledge, like the Amityville house or anything else like that. She, which makes, which makes me believe it more which makes me believe that something really sinister was going on with this girl um, because she doesn't want to be prodded and poked by people. She doesn't want to be folklore. Um, I mean, you, you have to, you have to really, really look for information about this, 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 this one. Whereas other ones, you throw a stick and you'll land on an account of what happened Amityville and, and, the, the conjuring ones they're they're kind of almost proud that they're part of like mainly american folklore but this this one she is so reclusive over this she doesn't want anyone to, to ask her about this um mm. well there's a bit that, that, that makes me believe it more it really does well there's a bit more about carla eh, sorry about carla about doris that i want to i'm going to touch on in a second and it might feed into you but i sort of have a different idea about this so this investigation lasted around 10 weeks originally with Dr. Taff. After that, 
Doris moved away. She moved to Carson. Um, the parapsychologist had to hunt her down. So she didn't leave a forward an address. She kept a really low profile. Um, they had to hunt her down. And eventually they did found it, found her. And then within weeks of her moving in, the same sort of activity started to happen. Neighbours on either side said that they experienced similar, similar goings on. Um, even though Doris hadn't told any of her neighbours about her previous experiences, she wanted to keep it all to herself um, and keep a really, really low profile. To me, initially, when I read this, was like, I feel like you've lied and you've wanted to get away from the lie because it's built into something huge. But then when I started hearing about she didn't tell anybody about what had happened or the reasons why she'd moved, I started to lean towards... Oh, I, I really, I really just don't know. I really don't know. So there was, they, they went to see her again. Um, there was an incident where a vase was smashed and they were recording this on audio tape, although I couldn't find it anywhere, um, with a condenser mic. So they heard the vase smash as they're all sat there. And then they go and listen back to the recording they can hear heavy breathing on the on the microphone playback, and they also detected a footstep, then a drag, then a footstep, then a drag, and then the microphone turned itself off. Isn't that I'm bizarre? Not this. No, so I couldn't find that anywhere. I couldn't find that to listen to. I was going to put it on for us to hear, but I couldn't find it. If I do find it, I will post it. Um. And then I'd rather then... you didn't, to be honest. <laughs> so she moves again, um, and these things are still happening to her. Um, and then again, she moves from wherever she moved to into Texas, where is, is where she, she actually settled. Um, so I wanted to quickly talk about the final act, because that, for me, is where the film itself... Um, dips in quality I didn't I didn't like the final act I didn't really like that experiment I didn't like how it looked or anything but that is not a true uh, that that is that part is not true so yeah that's the film that's a film or pure film well it's the book but um the final act is based on a he basically the the author uh, Frank de la Felita asked the parapsychologist if you had all the money that you needed what would you have done in this case and this was the scenario that the parapsychologist cre created and so they used it in the book to give it a sense of an ending rather than it being this continues um, I, that, I, I'm, I'm fine with that now I'm absolutely fine so Doris also was reported to have felt threatened by all of the attention that the book and the film were getting, which I kind of get um, if she kept a low profile. I wonder if, you know, money did change hands there. I think it would have done. What did she get from it? What did she earn? Although it's none of our business, is it? Like, I mean, that's always something that people are interested in. Well, well what did you make off that? Well, it's none of your business at the end of the day, is it? Like, it's her story. She's told it and people have bought into it. So... That's the true, that's the true life story. Um, really similar to the film, to be honest. There is no gory details. So we don't know the extent of the violence or the attacks. We, we don't know. We don't know what's happened there. We just know that she was raped. And um, that's the way that she uses herself. 
So I think probably we need to go to the vote, don't we? We do. Okay. I don't know why, where you got that from, but you need to fucking have a word with yourself because I, <laughs> you've already done the done the groundwork with me, and then you launched that sound on me, and it, poo is flowing now. <laughs> okay, so in I'm terms not enjoying of, this one. I'm not going to lie. I like the film more. <laughs> in terms of the film, then nightmare cinema certified nightmare, or would you just stay for the popcorn? Oh, it's certified fucking gold. It's it's pure. <laughs> Pure fucking horror film to me. Yeah, absolutely agree. It's hundred percent better than I remembered it. I mean, I'm taking away all of the kind of relevance to today. It's still absolute one hundred and fifty percent horror, pure terror. How mm. to do it? Brilliance mm-hmm. it is exceptional. I've actually described it here, right? Um, as um, absolutely knockout, and no, I mean even without the cultural and absolutely relevant themes in it, it's fucking knockout. This is why I love films, and this is why horror films are so important. Brackets, even though I hate most of them, <laughs> don't hate this one. This one is allowed to live. This and The Exorcist and Hellraiser can come and live on an oh, island with me God. and we'll live very happily, safe in the knowledge that we're educating, ed- entertaining and disgusting people all the way along. I think this is so good, this film. I really do. Yeah, it is. I, I 100% agree. It is one of the better horror films, one of the better true story horror films out there, one of the best ghost horror films yeah. out there. Um. It is Concur a, with all. a big hitter and definitely for me, Nightmare Cinema as well. What's higher than Nightmare Cinema? What can we give it? It's Exorcist no. Cinema. No. So in terms of the true story, Doris Bithers' story, true, fact, fake, fiction. As you know, I'm a bit of a sceptic when it comes to stuff like this. But this is the first one that I believe... I'm, I'm, I, Starting to believe something. I mean, it's obvious that something was going on with her. And the fact that she's just gone, she's just ran away. She basically ran away and gone, I'll deal with it myself. You're all shit. And and she won't talk about it. Oh, fucking freaks me out. <laughs> My heart it just breaks for her completely. It breaks for Barbara, who was playing the fucking acting. And it breaks for the real lady because something was going on and no one listened to her and limited by 1974 ignorance and resources, lack of resources. It's just, fuck, I can't even imagine what that must have been like her entire, like her entire life. Mm. I'm, I'm really on the fence about this one because there is... There, there, <laughs> There is absolutely no evidence barring two photographs of a light. And, you know, we've criticised Amityville, we've criticised Ed and Lorraine Warren for really similar things, for not having enough evidence. And I think I get why you might believe this is true because she's not she's not stuck around, she's not in the limelight. But 
you, you don't always no, have to be if yeah, you're not telling I the truth. I don't fully believe it's true. It's just, it just, the story unsettles me that much that it does scare me a bit. Amityville, speaking about Amityville, apart from that horrendous picture of that kid, which is just fucking mm-hmm. not of his earth, it doesn't scare me anymore. And I think it's because it's been talked about so much and it's been done to death. This hasn't. And because she hasn't come forward and said, gave a proper a proper account, and she can't now because Doris Bithard obviously died in 1999, um, it's, it's always going to be a mystery. And I don't like the unknown. I like... If... if, if there's, there's, there's no one even quashing the story. There's no one saying this definitely didn't happen. They're just saying it probably didn't happen. And mm-hmm. I don't, that doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. And that that's when my imagination takes over. And I, mate, you've just been talking about it on a podcast in the middle of the day. And I've just had to stick a light on. That's how much it, it unsettles me. That's, that's, this is why I don't do horror films because I fucking hate scary stories. And yeah. But I don't, I don't fully believe it. But I am leaning into the, the fact that something sinister was happening, and I'm not ruling out that it could have been a what she says it is, what she said it is. Mm. But, but yeah, can we talk about something else now? I wish I was a little bit more, I had more of a my mind made up on this. But I feel part of me feels like. The story is that outlandish, a, a ghost, an entity, something invisible, sexually assaulting you numerous times. It is that unbelievable. Could it be, could, is it believable? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, is it that outlandish that it is true? And in the back of my head, it's like, no, something invisible can't do this to you and you've got no evidence but then part of me thinks about when I used to when I've studied psychology and when you go through trauma your brain is really good at blocking certain things out and that can make you think that you 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 can't see the thing that has attacked you or the thing that has caused the trauma um more more so it's more of a shape or you won't see the face it's it's i've never read about it being an invisible thing before so that's making me think was she was she raped and this she's stuck in the cycle of trauma and ptsd because ptsd makes you feel like you are still living in that traumatic event that's the point of it I just, I just don't know. I'm leaning more towards the psychological than than the, the the spiritual again, which I'm really surprised about because you know what I'm like. Like if a light goes off in my house, I'm like, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Yeah, I have to, I have to say, since we started doing this, I've known you for like ten years now, coming up to ten years, and you were the most. Mulderish person I've ever met in my life, ever. <laughs> and since we started doing this, you have turned into Scully. You, I know. You, you're trying to explain things away. It's because it... I, I think when you're doing something like this, it's so easy for horror fans and fans of the paranormal and supernatural to get so carried away with just the idea of it and the stories behind it. When actually that's all we've got is stories and, yeah, first-hand accounts maybe, but there's nothing physical that I can see that would tell me, yes, 
But then I think it's different when you're in the situation, you can feel those feelings because from that perspective, say, for example, I walked into, how many times have you walked into a house and thought, oh shit, I don't like it in here? And it's an instant thing. And that's what I'm saying. I wasn't in there, in that bedroom, in that house, feeling those things that people felt. And maybe I would have felt different then, but I wasn't and I don't. And I've got to take it from my perspective now. And I do believe she has gone through some trauma, whether that part about her dad is true or that was invented, I don't know. I do believe she was the victim of a rape, absolutely, at some point in her life. Do I believe that an invisible man did it? No, I don't. Do I believe that something was going on in her house? Maybe, maybe I do. But then, I don't know. Are those two things related? Are they separate? I, I don't know. I just don't well, know. He's he's divided. He's both Mulder and Scully with this I one. am. And um, a fantastic sweat uh, jumper, I must admit. I'm Mully or Skulder. I'm <laughs> 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 on that bombshell. <laughs> okay. Well, um, we will be back next time for episode 24. And hopefully we will have Johnny return. If not, you'll be stuck with us too which I know you love in it, really. Johnny is um, still touring farm again with his band. Uh, yeah, I think he's at a wedding this time, isn't he? He's so, at a wedding? No, he's at, he's just at a wedding as a guest. Oh, he's at a wedding? Yeah. So hopefully we'll have Johnny back next time and um, we will see you soon. Thank you very much for checking us out. Thank Don't you. forget to check out our Instagram page at nightmare underscore cinema underscore where we have some really exciting stuff going on. Hmm. <laughs> Thank Thanks very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>